Welcome to Research Conversations, a podcast powered by the Digital Legal Lab. Welcome to this episode of Research Conversations from the Digital Legal Lab. Today we're talking with Aurelia Tamo Lariu, assistant professor at Maastricht University and a member of the Maastricht Law and Tech Lab, um, and Clément Guiton, a postdoc researcher at the University of St. Gallen. Um, They are here to talk today about uh, their recent paper on pervasive computational law and to discuss some of the challenges that they have identified in this field and to talk about how we may be able to move this field forward. I think as a starting point, uh, they defined computational law as uh, the development of tools that makes law either more accessible or more efficient. Um, so with that, uh, I will move into the first question and take a step back a bit uh, to ask uh, our two guests how they sort of came to this piece, pervasive computu- computational law, and how it sort of uh, grows from their prior work. Thank you, Mindy, so much for the nice introduction. Yes, I'm, I'm happily taking uh, a step back. So Clément and Simon Meyer, also at the University of St. Colm, and I actually have co-organized now uh, multiple <laughs> workshops with, with different experts um, in the field, bringing really uh, experts in, in research, but also in the industry um, together to discuss these topics of pervasive computation law, or more generally speaking, uh, automated legal processes. And what really kicked us off um, here was when we started uh, working more closely on, on privacy by design and privacy by design implementations, uh, more specifically actually into a toy robot, where we were really interested in how far we can implement those principles into that very specific toy robot. And we started, of course, very simple, looking, tracking kind of with with GPS where uh, such a robot could be located to understand and, and kind of automate the parental consent and age requirements that, that come in different member states within the EU. So, so we were really looking here more at the GDPR and, and this data protection by um, design and default requirements that we have in the law. And, and we started playing with this and augmented uh, the toy robot with certain features, uh, such as local facial recognition trainings, um, et cetera, to understand also how you can minimize certain data processing activities. And, and this made us reflect actually on on two things. First of all, um, we started thinking a bit more about well, how how we could you know better customize actually our devices and services to reflect our privacy needs. Now, in particular, um, also thinking a bit more wider is not a right to repair our products for more privacy protections. And then in parallel, the second thing that that we started to develop were all these questions looking more into how far we can automate the law, for instance, uh, the GDPR, but but also other laws. And this is really what made us realize that there are a lot of initiatives out there um, and that many uh, researchers, but also in the industry, use different terminologies to kind of describe and, and think about the field. And so that's where we proposed um, this typology also to classify these different projects of automation of of legal processes or automatically processable regulations, where we looked at, as as you said, the different aims that come with it, right? Like automatically processable regulations to make law, for instance, more accessible for lay people so that they can actually 
you know, find out what kind of social benefits apply to them, but also ones that are really trying to make the application of the law more efficient, such as determining, kind of predicting certain um, cases in order to kind of reduce the backlogs uh, in court systems. But there are other criteria, of course, um, that we, we looked at, such as who is in, involved in the developments, um, whether or not the in, interests diverge here, diverge here in, in those uh, developments of automatically processable regulation, how much a human is disintermediated in the process of, of transforming um, a regulation into code, all these are very important questions to us understand what is at stake and, and what, not only what are the actual scopes of these, um, com- pervasive computational law approaches or computational law approaches, how are they implemented, but, but really also like, okay, what, what is changing here for individual society, the gatekeepers of law? And so this is really what kicked off, um, this piece. Um, again, this, this was a result of, of many workshops and especially one workshop that included a lot of, uh, different experts in the field who are also co-authors here. Uh, many of them who are also co-authors on the piece. And, and so this is really what started these whole discussions. Interesting. And yeah, in your piece, you sort of trace the history of computational law, um, through phases and note how as technology accelerates, um, the law, of course, um, is is not exempt from sort of being subject to some of these tools, but you also point out, I think, some some very interesting challenges that stem from the law itself or from technology itself. Um, so, Clément, c- can you tell us a bit about your main motivations um, for writing this article, Pervasive Computation, Computational Law, and kind of what what were, the, what were the big takeaways or the main points from the article? Yes, exactly. We wanted to try to understand what is the frontier, uh, what what can we do currently with the current technology in terms of turning laws into automatically processable regulations. And as you mentioned as well, so, so there are several types of issues. So we've seen societal issues. Um, if you if you encode something and you have it in encoded, then you've had this this criticism. Then then it becomes frozen that the law cannot evolve anymore. That the interpretation of the law that is also very dynamic, then it becomes a lot more challenging to to have it updated once it's in the code. So this set of challenges, so, so this is, these are one set of challenges, right? Anything that relates to, uh, interpretation, to, to, um, the balance, uh, maybe of, of interpretation as well. And then there are, the, there is another set of challenges, which is more on the technical side. And, um, the, the field of automatically possible regulation is not very new. So it's quite, it's quite old, uh, one of the first attempts at transforming a law into a computer code version was uh, around the 80s with the British Nationality Act. So a piece of legislation with lots of if-then statements and the, 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 the scholars at the time were just trying to model it and to create a model of it. And nowadays, while skipping a couple of, of phases nowadays, we have uh, lots of different tools with, with ML or AI techniques that try to automatically uh, create a version of uh, uh, what we call automatically processable regulation. So in between, a lot of things happen, but now our question was, what is this frontier? What are there, are there 
can we define specific laws that should not be or that cannot be encoded? And sort of the bottom line is that it's not the entire law that may fall under this category. Is that certain parts of the law should uh, not be turned into automatically procedural regulation, while other parts of it may be uh, more suitable to it. And so specific, uh, we, we try to tease out specific criteria depending on that. And, and one of the, the big one is that you, you still have for lots of statements the need for interpretation. And why is that? Is because certain terms are underdefined, they're uh, semantically ambiguous, and so you need a human to uh, go at the root of what this could mean. Ah, thank you, Clément. Yeah, so how do we sort of um, deal with issues of interpretation and contextualizing law and separating the parts that potentially are uh, amenable to this kind of uh, computation and and which parts aren't? Um, So, so could could you explain to us a little bit more um, about OT and how we define that and how we understand different problems that might arise? So exactly. So, so we we put uh, all of these under the categorization of open textured. So so we call any um, any terms any sentence uh, that cannot be interpreted directly so easily by a computer. M- most of it we put it under the label of open textured. And so for us, open textures are, for instance, large concepts uh, like justice, like uh, equality, or as much as certain terms that would be undefined or underdefined. So if we talk of a period in a law, so that something needs to be periodically reviewed, this is something that is underdefined. But for for a computer scientist, it's as much underdefined if you talk about a month. Are we talking about 28 days, 30 days, 31 days? So, so there are lots of different nuances as well uh, in open texture. And so we've been doing some research as well on can we, can we agree, can legal scholars agree on what constitutes open textures? Which terms, if, if you give legal texts to different people, can they agree on which terms and which sentences are open textured. And so it depends a bit, the the answer to that depends a bit on the process. So what we've seen so far is that if you just give it to different people, then you're gonna get a very different answer. Now, if you take these different answer and there is low agreement between the different people and you ask them again, do you agree with what this other person has been saying? Then the agreement rates shot up shoot up quite tremendously. So in the end, we can find agreement. We, we managed to uh, be able to bring legal scholar to find agreements on terms and clauses following a specific uh, framework, which we established. Uh, but there, there, are, there are further challenges. So, so identifying open texture terms or, or clauses is, is one thing, but we think it, it also goes a lot beyond that. So we've tried to conceptualize open texture, not only in terms of what the text is, but also in terms of how it is being challenged in a society. So a term might be considered non-open textured. A lot of people might for a while say this term is, is very well accepted until there is a challenge to it, until a person with enough resources, 
uh, enough uh, time, uh, enough know-how, goes through a court process to try to bring a challenge and to say, well, this definition is, is not so well accepted. So, so I'll give maybe an example and that, that'll be a bit clearer. So there was a case uh, in Switzerland a couple of years ago about a taxi driver at a red stop unbuckling his seatbelt to fetch in the hand-gloved compartment something and then putting it back his, his seatbelt. And the, the law says that you are supposed to be uh, attached to be uh, to have your seatbelt on while driving. So the driver disputed, the taxi driver disputed that he was not driving because he was stopped at a red light and he, and he got a fine for it from, from the police. So he brought a challenge. He brought a challenge to these accepted terms. What does while driving means? And a lot of people would have thought or would probably think, oh, this is quite clear, you know, what it means. Now, now the case showed, well, there can be certain nuances too. So for a while, no one knew which direction this would go. It does, if, if you're unbuckled uh, your seatbelt at, at a red light, does this constitute a violation? Are you driving or not? Uh, and the court in, in the end settled and said, yes, you, you are driving. Driving means in the context of this law, uh, starting from a point A to a point B, and during the whole journey, you, you are not allowed to unbuckle your, your seatbelt. But it's just to exemplify that the nature of open texture also varies through time. So you're going to have challenges that are going to bring up the the value of the open texture terms, and then you're going to have this value going back down again. And so when encoding the law, when turning a law into an automatically processable regulation, then you need to take this into account, uh, meaning that you can't just have software engineers working on the law. You, you really need to have lawyers as well advising on the different possible interpretations of it, and to have systems in the in 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 place so that you can update the definition, update um, the the meaning that are given to to the law, either by courts or again by a statute update, so something a bit more straightforward than that, or because um, the enforcement of the law maybe has changed as well. So. Um, the, the API is trying to, to, to make it more efficient as well, to have compliance being enforced more quickly, but sometimes the law is still going to be on the book, but the enforcement is going to look very different as well. So all of these aspects also need to be looked into. Right? Interesting. So yeah, moving forward, it sounds like um, definitely a call uh, in your paper and here today for more interdisciplinary work um, that we can't have sort of computers uh, doing this the sort of reason interpretation alone um, that there needs to be uh, in, in including um, lawyers and trying to help define these open or identify first open texture, uh, define it and update it when necessary. Uh, yeah, it, it sounds like sounds like an, uh, a challenging task uh, that does require some uh, interdisciplinary collaboration. So in light of these issues with, with open texture, what can we do um, to make sure that we, we develop automatically processable regulations responsibly? Um, so Clément already sort of touched upon having this collaboration between the disciplines. Um, but, but what else, Aurelia, can, can we do in the future to make sure we're moving in the right direction? Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. So the interdisciplinary collaborations are key, but they also need 
guidance, right? We also need a, a, a way to provide guidelines to develop those uh, APR in, in or automatic processable regulations in a responsible form so that these interdisciplinary teams actually can work well together. And so we argue that this is possible actually in, in a very new paper that is also a, a collaborative paper that resulted from, from other workshops. And here um, we we looked at a lot of the AI kind of ethical AI frameworks, responsible AI frameworks that, that have already been established in the literature and use those also as a foundation to to target the guidelines for responsible um, automation of, of legal processes um, to that field, right? Because as Klima mentioned, there are clearly other issues at stake when we move into the automation of, of legal processes rather than, than other domains. And one of the major drawbacks of a lot of ethical, responsible AI framework is, is that they are not that easily uh, operationalizable. Um, so it's very difficult to implement that. And, and in our work, we also try to address this by not only providing clear examples, and, and I can take two examples that touch upon also what Clem already uh, mentioned um, to describe these issues better, but also have like leading questions and also mitigation strategies that can be uh, can be used in such interdisciplinary teams to address um, these these issues that we've identified. And for instance, two examples that that Clement touched upon is is this vagueness uh, of certain legal norms and also the balancing of interests that is very often inherent in in different uh, norms and, and regulations. Uh, a very straightforward um, example here would be, for instance, the automation of traffic regulation or even like let's let's take drone regulation, something that, that in Maastricht um, we also have like expertise in, where very often you'll find like norms like you need clear visibility to fly or drive something. Um, and, and here, for instance, you can think of, well, what does this clear visibility really mean and how should you interpret this uh, when automating that, you know, legal rule, so to speak? Or you could have also different balances, balancing of interest in inherent in, in such a regulations. Um, for instance, think of employing such a drone without clear visibility in fog because it's a wildfire and you want to try to see um, where the fire is. So if it's hard coded, clearly <laughs> that is a problem because you you have other interests at stakes here as well, right? Uh, so for that, we, we pro provided some leading questions that these teams can look at or should look at and discuss and have clear um, debates about, such as thinking about whether there are several possible and valid interpretations of such a law, of such a norm, um, how to have techniques in place to potentially annotate certain elements of vagueness within within those laws, and how to conduct A-B testing and, and verification as well as quality insurance before the deployment uh, of such such um, automatically processable regulations. And and mitigation strategies to, to address those could also be exactly um, to use maybe specific controlled uh, language approaches that help us identify whether or not there is, uh, whether or not terms are vague. This could also be helpful to do that before we actually draft the law to kind of maybe even create laws that are more in the sense digitally ready uh, as in providing a bit less vagueness um, and, and more clarity with respect to implementation. Um, and then it can also be very simply just documenting the fact that we had discussions 
on the different interpretations. And we see that with a lot of issues within automation of legal processes, um, different lead questions and mitigation strategies can arise. Um, and we have that for, for many of the issues, such as the problem that, yeah, norms evolve and some laws are not even enforced anymore because, you know, society doesn't believe in them. Um, and, and that are all aspects that these teams need to discuss. And, and for that, we have, um, really created like a, a quite extensive list of, of such questions and, and mitigation strategies and hope that this can be useful in the future, uh, when uh, developing such computational law approaches further. So it sounds like for sure a call for more public debate and discussion on these issues. Um, and our, our listeners can, of course, um, read your, your paper, Pervasive Computational Law. Um, as a final sort of question, uh, are there any other resources uh, that you might refer listeners to um, to learn a bit more about this area? Yes, thank you, Mindy. Um, yeah, there are definitely many, many uh, good articles and, and resources uh, that we also cite and, and reference in our work. I think all of our co-authors have um, worked extensively in, in, in this field and, and have done uh, very important and, and ground, groundbreaking work uh, within within that area that, that I would also recommend to look at. And then there are also many projects funded also at times by uh, EU and, and, and other uh, government initiatives that have looked into also the, the, the changes that occur, right? When, when law is being automated, um, that have also provided, um, typologies and, and tools actually that can, can be used also in legal education, but not only legal education to debate more uh, about these issues. Excellent. Thank you um, to both of our guests today. Um, and that concludes this episode of Research Conversations. Thank you, Mindy. Thank you. You can follow for more updates from the Digital Legal Lab by visiting the links in the description. Stay tuned for the next episode of Research Conversations. Thank you.